Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer. Oh, are you going to like do the intro duties here? No, I'm just going to do the parts I like. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think, a, a good place for me to come out on all this. Okay. And who are you? I'm Catherine Urbino. Who am I? <laughs> Joe Patrice. Wow. Where are we from? <laughs> Above the law? Yeah. And so, are, we're, we're senior editors and your hosts for today. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah you, you, you did most of that. That's good. That's good. Listen. You know, maybe I can ride into the sunset on the hosting duties and you can You're, start the all, introductions yourself from now on. I much prefer interrupting you. That's kind of some joy that I get. So. I've noticed. I've noticed. Yeah. I just don't think. Uh, so please don't take away. I don't think away. that any of the listeners like that you're interrupting me all the time. That Are you speaking for other people? I'm pretty sure that's a bad thing. Um, well, speaking anyway. for others is, is is not great. Is an argument, not to have. great. Yeah, not great. Anyway, uh, mm. yeah. So I guess you're just going to keep interrupting in like. Uh, you're just going to try or- to interrupt me with the sound. Like I said, you just did what I said. I mean, I learned it by watching you. All right. <laughs> did I did S- steal some of the jouissance so, there? So small talk. Yeah. What'd you do? What do you, what's it, what, are, what is up in the world of Catherine Rubino right now? I had a banger weekend. Ooh. Yeah. I was off on Thursday and Friday of mm. last week because it was my mother's birthday. Oh, and, happy birthday. Yeah. And my family and I went out to Napa for uh, some wine tastings. And I've never been to wine country out there. I'm from New- the New York area. I have been to New York wineries, which are lesser in overall. It's different. It, let's just say it's different. Okay. So I'd never really been to, I'd never been to Napa, been to Northern California, but just not there. Uh, had some great, great wines and really delicious food and caught up with some family. Good time was had by all. That's awesome. Yeah, but it also means that I missed some of the bigger legal stories of last week. Oh, oh, really? If you're if you're interested, I think I think Ginny Thomas can text you uh, <laughs> up on what's been going on. Yeah, that was a that was a thing that happened. Yeah, this wasn't one of our planned topics, but let's uh, let's have some small talk about it. So apparently, Clarence Thomas's wife was t- uh, texting the chief of staff to the. White House, a uh, bunch of conspiracy theory stuff. I mean, some some truly unhinged stuff, like not like how the Bidens are going to be arrested and sent to Gitmo, and or a barge off the coast of Gitmo, which I actually thought was really cool, since Clarence did a lot of work to make it clear that Gitmo is some sort of weird torture holiday land and they don't even want them there they want them on the barges off the coast of gitmo so that's like super califragilistic torture (laughs) nice nice uh yeah it is astonishing it is deeply disturbing and there will be zero consequences for it so that feels pretty on par he was the lone dissenter in an opinion earlier about letting documents from that investigation go public. Uh, Now I think we know why, assuming Mm. he was aware that these existed. So, yeah, you have to imagine that that was true. But well, he also was sick. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, you're correct. He was also sick. Uh, Apparently a longer hospital stay than initially anticipated. 
but appears to be on the mend now. Mm-hmm. Well, I was say the other thing of of somewhat legal note that we haven't really written about, but we might want to chit chat about. Okay, is the uh, issue spotter that happened during the Academy Awards? Yeah, seriously, we have to like how many final exams will take some Academy Award based scenario and put it into the test. Who's liable? The, Who's liable? How many torts are there? I, Come I on, know. you, you yeah. know, there's, there's going to be, I, I if, if anyone who's currently in law school is listening, whenever your final exams roll around, if there is an Academy Awards, Will Smith, Chris Rock based prompt, please let us know. I uh, think there will be. I don't know. It, well, I, I mean, mean, it's an they, intentional they, tort, right? <laughs> like, I don't know is that you can... Well, sure, the assault part is. <laughs> but The battery. Ba- oh, see? Mm. That's two right there. Plus, yeah. plus, there's the, was it intentional infliction of emotional distress by deliberately call uh, on nope. Chris Rock's part? But see, that's, a, that's an issue, right? Yeah. And plus, they're going to, it's not going to be, oh, this is exactly what happened at the Academy Awards, right? right. They use It'll it be, as yeah. a starting point and then change the facts. You know, well, that is, of course, if professors decide to rewrite their exam every year, which we know for a fact and above the law, not every professor is super diligent about. Yeah, which creates problems every year when somebody reuses an exam that the answer key is already floating around the school. Which means some people have it, but not everyone. Yeah. Well, cool. Is there uh, well, what, what yeah. do you what do you want to talk about? What was your chit chatty moment? I didn't really have one. Uh, I felt like I was going to let you kind of drive the conversation. You did. We got into talking about a couple of cases that not cases, events that we otherwise hadn't covered. You know, I think it's all all in all a pretty successful small talk. I thought. Yeah. Did you have something to say? I, I'll hold off if nope. you have more to say. Nope. Okay. Just trying to not get interrupted. Okay. You're really like on edge about this. Like, has this really like gotten into your head? (laughs) I can see your finger. (laughs) I can see your finger itching towards the button on the soundboard. Mm. It's not fair. I need to come up with a way of triggering that without being so obvious. Hmm. What are you going to do, like mental soundboarding? That sounds weird. I don't know. We'll work on it. How are you feeling? That doesn't sound great. You know, it's just this nagging cough. COVID? No. And that's the thing. Like, we, I think we talked about this on the last show. Like, I, I got sick and, and all the COVID tests were negative and I couldn't figure out what that meant. And then I realized, oh, right, there are other things. Uh, and I hadn't thought about it in years. But <laughs> Two, yeah. to be precise. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, no, just a nagging cough. Anyway. That that seems more like a small talk topic. We're done with small talk, so that can't be. No, I'm not hitting a. There is no sound. <laughs> what effect sound are you queuing up? There's none. You you really have, you you really have deeply damaged me. Yeah. So. You know I, what else is deeply damaged? Oh, what? The current conception of the First Amendment. There is that. Uh, So we've been having some coverage of some issues that are coming up surrounding. Theoretically, the First Amendment, though more accurately, these are dealing with private institutions, so they aren't really First Amendment cases, but they are about free speech and the culture of free speech in this country and how it operates. 
I'm going to start with the premise, which is that there was an event uh, that was held at Yale where they invited a lawyer from a, you know, recognized hate group, uh, which is always <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so some somebody from a group that is on uh, several hate group lists to speak. People protested this. and As one does. As one generally does. As one does. And this prompted a outpouring of consternation from corners like the Wall Street Journal about how cancel culturing, heckler vetoing of speech because people get to protest. I originally wrote a piece explaining that you can argue that it's not it's not a great thing to have protests in that, you know, academia should be open, blah, 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 or it's a matter of professionalism, blah, blah, blah. All of these are Fair arguments. I don't necessarily buy them myself, but those are fair arguments. What is not a fair argument, I said, is to argue that free speech equals people on the state on the stage with microphones and not protesters. That is not how free speech works. Mm. Uh, the protesters absolutely have the right to protest. That is how that is supposed to work. Uh, <laughs> it is, and with that said, I just. I just pointed out that I find that it's kind of dangerous to try to import free speech. The whole infrastructure of free speech in this country as a legal concept and try to pervert it into shutting down people who exercise their rights in ways that official channels don't like. Sure. That seems like a problem. You can have other arguments about whether or not it's the right thing to do, but free speech is not the proper avenue. Uh, this has gotten me all sorts of complainy people. Hate mail. Yeah, people who are like, well, you can't. What about the heckler's veto? Which, as I've explained multiple times to people over the last week, to the levels where it bothers me, almost as though people were absent that day that we covered that in law school. Uh, <laughs> that is not... Heckler's veto does not mean people heckling you. That's why they don't say people heckling you. The the extra word in there is because it does more work. Uh, <laughs> sort of like hot dog not being the same thing as a poodle on fire, right? Like the when you put the two words together, they mean something different. Phrases have meanings. Phrases do draw words distinctions. Words modify one another. Yeah. And the heckler's veto as a concept in law stems from a lot of cases, Brown v. Louisiana is the first one that used the term. However, in that opinion, they cite a number of prior cases that dealt with the concept, even though they didn't have the term yet. What it's about is, in that case, is a perfect example. It was about a situation where civil rights protesters staged a, wanted to stage a sit-in, and, you know, your very stereotypical Southern sheriffs rolled in and said, we're putting you in jail because you staging this sit-in is going, it's not that we're trying to stop you, but you staging this sit-in means the yokels are going to come and create violence and trouble. Mm. And because they're going to do that, you can't do your speech. The point of the quote unquote heckler's veto as a legal concept is that the government can't use the real or imagined threat 
of some sort of security problem. As an excuse to fire straight. Yes, it, it's an end run around the First Amendment, and the mm-hmm. courts say you don't get to do end runs around the First Amendment. That's, well, they used to. Right. Fair point. <laughs> but that, that's what it is. It is not, you're not allowed to heckle people, as Will Smith proved. Uh <laughs> Right up until, and look, the Will Smith situation is a good, a good example, a good corollary to this, right? Like he could yell at Chris Rock all he wants from a free speech perspective, hitting him, you know, means that it's no longer a free speech issue that now crosses the line. And I think that's the, really the issue with this sort of protest, these organizations trying to import the term heckler's veto, which we know means a bad thing. Onto this situation by redefining what it means. They they take the result. We know we know the result is bad, and we just redefine the first half of the equation and now apply it to heckling. That that bothers me because it I think is happening because uh, despite all the breathless descriptions people have, uh, these protesters don't get up and hit people. You can't stop them the way that you normally could under the normal functioning of law by saying you're allowed to speak, but you're not allowed to go hit somebody. Mm-hmm. They don't want that. They want to get the extra power of just making people be silent and listen to whatever the official channel wants them to tell, force them to listen to. And so they're trying to import this theory into that. That's bad. It should be rejected. You can have as many arguments as you want about protests being problematic Frankly, I often find them obnoxious. That said, that's kind of the point of free speech is you're kind of supposed to find this stuff obnoxious. Uh, it is it reaches. I think it was William O. Douglas who said it reaches its like highest form when it's something that irritates people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever. I think it's interesting the sort of legal experts redefining established legal arguments. But I also wonder if the sort of I don't want to say deliberate, but very specific way that the legal profession has these idiosyncratic terms that mean very specific things that are often hard for a lay person to understand. I think most people just hear hecklers veto and it, 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 it on a gut check level means something to yeah. folks who are not lawyers. And because the profession has defined it in very specific ways, but they're not necessarily lined up with the kind of gut check version of what it means. Uh, It created this tension and this opportunity for folks to do that damaging work of redefining it in contradiction to the real definition. And I wonder if there isn't some sort of that opacity of the of the profession that's also to blame as opposed to just the folks who are are sort of I would say deliberately, and I think you you've made that argument as well, misinterpreting what those what those terms mean. Yeah, no, I mean I think that is very much a possibility uh, that law makes itself confusing, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes that creates problems. And unfortunately, I would I would really prefer our legal experts to be going out there right now to say, here's what this means, and here's what it doesn't mean, and not throw caution to the wind and play fast and loose with legal concepts. I want to transition just a little bit, though, to the fact that I keep saying that a lot of this is coming from the fact that they want 
that they want to be able to shut down a protest, but they can't because these people don't actually cross the line and and hit people and you know mm-hmm. do th- uh, spit on people and create actual assaults and batteries and sorts of things that they could shut down. And on that note, having spoken to witnesses and now having read the actual official statement about what happened here, which I disagree with the conclusions of, but between both of those accounts, I now have multiple perspectives on what actually took place. And most of it adds up to the Wall Street Journal made a lot of this stuff up. Uh, It does not appear as though anybody was actually shouting down the speakers. Some people made comments early, then they left the event A few people stayed to ask questions at the end, which were going to be challenging questions, but that's the point. It's sort of Uh, the point of an academic Q&A, right? It's not just like, hey, take a victory lap here at the end. The people who left basically picketed outside the event. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were so many people picketing it the sort of thing that happens with, you know, hate groups and stuff like that being involved. Uh, but there were so many people willing to pick at it that the official account says, well, we could still hear the people shouting outside. And that was disruptive a little bit. Uh, that is... Get better soundproofing. Yeah, that is a I don't, I don't far, tell you. <laughs> far, far cry from people were trying to shout down a speaker. So beyond whether or not this was a proper exercise of free speech for people to protest the facts as delivered by the media and are constantly repeated by the media and frankly repeated by me even in my defense of it Mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't have a full story are mostly you know bullshit so another problem that's going on anyway we should probably We've been on this topic for a while, well, so we should. I mean, it is the the first amendment. The first amendment's first for a reason. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. yeah. But you know, deep down, it's not a first amendment thing. So. Man. Yeah, my <laughs> it actually is a first amendment thing, though. <laughs> it is. Well, not sort of. I mean, it's private institutions, but whatever. With all that said, uh, we should probably talk about phones for a little bit. Somebody should get that. Yeah, but we don't have time, so we should have some professionals, not just to get that while we're doing the work that we need to do, but also, you know, to, you know, do all the important onboarding stuff that needs to happen, you know? So let's hear from our friends with Posh. As a lawyer, ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call when you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting. That's where Posh comes in. We're live virtual receptionists who answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. And the Posh app lets you control when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Start your free trial today at Posh.com. All right. So what's up with in-house counsel? Well, there was a story that we covered last week about uh, in-house counsel at BNP Parabis in London. The legal head for debt and equity, uh, Benedict Foster, was announced that he was retiring, but not net, not, you know, kind of in a let's all have like a farewell. It, it was following an investigation into some questionable comments that he had made about an Asian colleague, about an Indian colleague. 
And also because he referred to his female managers as the C word, hard C, hard C word. Uh, yeah. So not, not, not great. Not great stuff. They did an investigation internally and said while the terms and, and stuff were, was inappropriate, they cleared him of racist intent. Okay. Uh, which uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, don't know the, the necessity of all that, but it was finally announced last week that he was retiring from, from the French bank. But it appears to be kind of a, a quickie situation since the position has been left opened and they will be, they said that they are looking for someone to fill the position as soon as possible. So, you know, don't, first of all, don't call people that you work with in any capacity, offensive nicknames. That shouldn't be too hard. But what I think was particularly interesting in this in this case is some of them were were utterances, spoken words, but several of them were written down in Ooh. emails. <laughs> you know, so you would think for in how for for an attorney that would be a particularly strong no no. But I guess I guess not. I guess not. That's no good. And now, and so wait, I, I'm, I, I'm still kind of glazed by this. And so they've, they've, this so seems it was, like. It was inappropriate to use the nicknames, but his intent was not racism. He wasn't trying to racism. He wasn't trying to racism. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that it, appears to be what this, the statement was. Although a lot of this is pulled from internal message boards that our friends at Roll on Friday have some sources yeah. there that they've published. But yeah. That's what it comes down to. Uh, stop, stop with the questionable nicknames. And, and, you know, one of them he said was like a, a, a rhyming slang effort as opposed to racism and stuff like that. But, you know, it seems to me nicknames are great and they are a way to kind of make one, you know, yourself closer to your colleagues and whatnot. But there's lots of things you can use as nicknames that don't necessarily reference folks's anatomy or racial or ethnic background. Yeah. Right. Right. Like those, those parts of people don't, don't make them the focus of the nickname, right? Make it about something that is unrelated to any <laughs> protected class or category. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem hard. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a challenge or the way stay away from them. You know, maybe you're not meant to be best friends with every single person you work with and instead just treat them with general respect and the job will be easier. Yeah, no, it, this is a thing that comes up a lot is folks who uh, feel full, familiarity gives them a license to do things when uh, they are not actually all that familiar with the people. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's also interesting and I don't have a, a clear... Uh, structure of the bank of, you know, exactly who reported to who or any of that kind of stuff. But in particular, you know, this is the head of, of a, a department, right? So pretty high up, you know, often, you know, in a position of authority, whether it's over the exact, and, uh, and some of them were in fact in reference to his managers. So they went the other direction as well. But I think particularly when you're in the position of managing folks, you have to be, you have to be aware of the way that you are presenting yourself and you're like, Oh, so they never objected to it. That puts a lot of right. onus on folks to have the comfort to say, Hey, stop, stop 
stop. That's that's not comfortable. You shouldn't have a nickname for me that references my ethnicity. That's not okay. And it puts a lot of onus on the people who are being potentially victimized here. And maybe instead you just need to be a little bit more conscious about the ways you choose to refer to your colleagues. Agreed. I, I, I mean, I would think that that would be true of any management level position in a large bank like this, but particularly when you're talking about someone who's on the legal team, you know, it, it is shocking to me. I mean, this is why you and I have only ever referred to each other in the height of respect. And mm-hmm. yeah, at no point. Never. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Yeah. And that's why we're (laughs) more functional as an organization. So with that, uh, let's close off with a little bit of a discussion of a story that did really well last week about a horrific series of events. Oh, joy. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, it's... uh, it's a thing. So this come this case comes to us from Illinois. There is, there was a town in Illinois that decided that an elderly couple, a couple eighty year olds, uh, who had some lawn chairs outside, which they used during the pandemic to chat with people when they would come over, socially distanced and outside. The town decided, in particular the mayor, as it turns out, uh, at least according to all the evidence that we've seen so far, uh, the mayor decided that they didn't like this and began, you know, issuing tickets, uh, like $500 tickets for them for, having, for having launch for elderly people having lawn chairs. This that seems like And this is not, the interesting thing is that the more you dig into this, this is not one of those Stepford neighborhoods where like everything has to be perfect and hedges. Right, this is not an HOA. It's not like an HOA situation. Versus like a a town. In the opinion, there's discussion of all these other houses that have all these other like Mm. things all over the place that got no no charges. As it turns out, so there are a couple of tickets for $500 when their adult son said, hey, maybe don't ticket my parents this way the town went bonkers and started ticketing them every day counter what if we ticket them more so ultimately uh it reached about thirty thousand dollars and they put a lien on their house and uh at a at a uh hearing that uh, was surreptitiously recorded, the mayor went into something of a racist tirade against the adult son. and now we figured out why it Uh, happened. It it becomes a whole deal. But uh, to give it a legal angle, uh, obviously it's legal, but to give it a legal angle, I want to give a shout out. Uh, Judge Steven Seeger of the Northern District of Illinois has... This is not the first time I've written about how magnificent he is at uh, real turn of the phrase. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's developed in his short time on the bench a real knack for fun opinions, uh, even if the subject matter is not fun. Uh, he includes in uh, early on in this opinion, he has the line. If the reader is thinking that things have, at this point, gone completely off the rails, buckle up, because the ride is not yet over. Uh, And that (laughs) truer words were not spoken. That was on, like, page two. And as I got further and further into this opinion, I got more and more gobsmacked by what was going on. Uh, (laughs) He really slow plays the horrors that are happening. He starts really ripping the mayor as time goes on. Mm. Uh, Things like 
That's when Mayor Serpico completely lost it. He lost his cool. He lost his temper. And if he has any ability to express himself without using expletives, he lost that too. Another. <laughs> this is another line. Like this guy, this judge. I, I'm. You gotta give. Gotta give credit where it's due. This. This is some top-notch writing. I just quoted a couple things, but there are so many more littered throughout this opinion that are fun and interesting, even with a horrible uh, set of circumstances. Ultimately, what this opinion decides is it rejects, it it grants in part and rejects in part, but uh, rejects mostly the town's motion to dismiss uh, and more or less lets the complaint go forward. I think the point of this opinion is to signal to the town that maybe you best the fact be that this is going, they you may want to They may want to get out of this. I mean, there, there's like a default judgment entered at one point because the elderly people wouldn't show up in person during the height of the pandemic. Oh, it's all bad. Oof. So I encourage people to check this thing out. It, it, in addition to being well-written, it, you know, is one of those restore faith in the courts moment. Like these are, these are the sorts of issues where you're, where you're like, Oh good. Thankfully there were federal courts there. (laughs) It's always good to, it's a, it's a more cheery or note than usual on this podcast that we get to. I mean, our job is to say that everything's broken uh, all the time. I mean, you know, it's a it, it's a job that not we untrue. Have, not yeah, we untrue. have a lot of ammunition to say that. So it is nice to have a feel good story where a judge actually, you know, stood up and said, "No, you don't get to do that." Hold the phone. Yeah. Anyway, that was uh, one. See, one that would have been a better story. transition. Hold the phone. Yes, that would have been. Well, well, live and learn. Yeah. Anyway. So I think that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. You should be subscribed to the show so you get new episodes when they come out. You should be giving it reviews, stars, write something, shows helps us engagement. Move with the algorithm. It helps the algorithm helps know that you're listening. Other people find us as it a legal does. podcast. Yeah. What else should they do? Follow me on Twitter. It's at Catherine One, K A T H R Y N, numeral one. Yeah, I'm also at Joseph Patrice. You should be listening to The Jabot, which is mm. Catherine's other sh- uh, podcast. I'm and what's a, the other show that you're on? Uh, Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. Uh, Smooth. With, uh, I mean, I mean uh, yeah. regular listeners know you don't always have the full mastery of the title of the other show oh, you appear on. regular listeners aren't listening this point. <laughs> anyway, so... You're they, they, the they, golden hour. Yeah, no. Uh, you should listen to the other shows by the Legal Talk Network. You should read Above the Law so you... You know, see these and other stories. You should check out our friends from Posh. I think then that's everything we've got. Peace. All right, bye.